Hebrews chapter 6, let's turn there. It's been actually, I don't know how many weeks now since I spoke on this particular uh, series that we've been going through with the elementary principles of Christ. So, when you try and pick something up after about, I don't know how long it's been, it's like everyone's like, uh, okay, we have to focus, we have to kind of just touch base with where we've been and where we're heading and what we're going to look at today and so forth. But um, we have been, well I have been, um, looking at um, the elementary principles of Christ, the spiritual foundations that we find in Hebrews chapter 6. And so we um, were specifically, we have looked at up until this point, four of those six that we find in scripture and that has been the issue of repentance um, uh, from dead works and one, faith towards God, the doctrine of baptisms and the laying on of hands. They're the four. Then there's two others that we want to consider that um, one of those is what we're going to look at today which is resurrection of the dead and the last one being eternal judgment. Now the last two are future. Okay, so they have to do their elementary principles, but they have to do with that which lies ahead, that which is future. And so, let's just quickly read Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, just to familiarise ourselves just quickly with what we're looking at, and then we'll proceed from there. Um, Paul writes, and he says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ... Let us go on to perfection. I mean, that was what he was encouraging these Hebrews Christians to do. Um, But having stated them, we're looking at them. He says, Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And so... We want to look this, uh, this morning at the resurrection of the dead. And so there's uh, many aspects as well as you begin to study this through and consider all these uh, uh, things that are tied together. But the issue of the resurrection of the dead is an important doctrine of the Bible. Uh, really, it's, it's so fundamental and foundational to our faith that it is important that we understand what is revealed to us and taught in the scriptures. And so again, obviously, there's, uh, uh, as with uh, various doctrines, there's lots of things that get said and there's lots of references uh, we find in the scriptures and really it's just too much for us to cover and kind of go through in just you know, uh, one, one session this morning. And so uh, I want to just focus on the principal aspect of that. Um, and we'll look at a few things, but I mean, there's so many different directions that you can go in and touch upon. But you see, the resurrection of the dead this morning is important because it forms the basis. So many people have so many uh, various uh, beliefs uh, in the world, and one of those that is contrary to the resurrection and is believed by many is that reincarnation. We don't believe in reincarnation. I'm not coming back as a dog. Believe me, maybe there's some that want to and whatever else and whatever the case may be, I really don't care. But uh, I believe in the biblical teaching of the resurrection and that resurrection is of a body. Amen. 
When we talk about resurrection, we are fundamentally speaking about the physical body. Now, we understand, what there's, again, Scripture gives us particular understanding of this, but uh, at one point in time in the course of the purposes of God, there will be a number of resurrections. And, when, and, in, and, uh, and in relation to that, which is for us, we will put on, amen, a celestial body. Praise the Lord at the appointed time. So that's something to look forward to, isn't it? You're, look, you're looking forward to that, Joan, eh? I guess when we all get older and a bit more frailer, uh, we can't wait to put off this tent and this body and put on the, the next at that, at that time. But see, uh, I want to just state that I believe that there are three fundamental um, principles in relation to resurrection of the dead that we find in Scripture. That, re- that is first that relates to Christ, that which uh, the Bible refers to as the just and the unjust or the saved and the unsaved or the believer, the unbeliever, uh, they're all synonymous. But with, contained within the just, there's uh, uh, again various stages of the resurrection and so this is interesting to study through and, um, and identify and I want to touch upon a few of those aspects this, this morning just so that we can see those things. But um, it is important that we understand the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. So, where shall we start? Well, let's start here first. The Hebrews, who Paul was writing, again, we must remember we've made emphasis each time we've looked at the various doctrines in Scripture that they have their roots and their foundations within the Old Testament. These are not New Testament concepts alone that are being introduced, um, uh, but rather in Paul writing to the Hebrew Christians as he was stating these particular fundamental elementary principles, these were things that they were already uh, familiar with. And so in the New Testament and in, in Christ there was a greater revelation, there's greater um, uh, insight and things have been revealed even further for us in that which has been written in the New Testament and that which relates to Christ. But nevertheless, this whole issue of the resurrection of the dead is something that was first and foremost stated and has been prophesied within the Old Testament. It was central to the beliefs of uh, uh, those he- uh, Hebrews and, and, and those Jews prior to the coming of Christ. Actually, in actual fact, there was even contention then regarding the resurrection. You may recall that um, uh, uh, there was the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they, the, one of the fundamental differences and distinctions between the Pharisees and the Sadducees was one, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead and the Sadducees did not. And so this is one of the divisions that they had amongst themselves. And uh, you, you may have, uh, uh, in, when you read the book of Acts, you begin to see that uh, Paul was, uh, was, had been um, captured and he was stood before the Sanhedrin and uh, he was uh, in some trouble. They were going to question him and uh, according to the gospel that he was preaching. And so Paul being uh, wise, he said, for the hope of our fathers and for the resurrection of the dead, I'm being judged on, on trial this day. And he did that deliberately because he knew that that would set off the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So he had two camps that were together against 
against Paul, then Paul speaks about the hope of the resurrection of the dead and the Pharisees go, hmm, yeah, okay. And the Sadducees go, no way. And then they start fighting amongst themselves and Paul's just sitting there, you know, enjoying himself uh, now that the attention has been diverted away from him. But nevertheless, the issue of the resurrection of the dead was a concept and something that was not fully understood, obviously, but it was something that was uh, clearly stated in the Old Testament and in the Scriptures and though it wasn't clearly understood, they knew that there was a foundation that related to it. And so too, for us as the Christian, in, in Christ, in the New Covenant, it has great significance. Let's just, uh, there's in Psalm 16.10, there's the, um, uh, we're just going to refer just a couple of Scriptures here, this, uh, but just to make the point, the Old Testament prophesied of Christ's resurrection. And in Psalm 16.10, there's a familiar portion there where it says, you will not leave my soul um, in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And so, you know, we would have read that, but who would have known that that was a specific prophecy that was uh, related to Christ and, uh, and was quoted by Peter on the day of Pentecost when he preached and also at various other stages in the book of Acts that relates to specifically the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that having died on the cross of Calvary, God was not going to allow his body to see corruption, but that he would be resurrected from the dead. So the resurrection is central to the Christian faith. So you have that which relates to Christ. And then there's the two other aspects that we can see in the book of Daniel, chapter 12, verse 2. And the Bible says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. So we're talking about a resurrection, some to life and some to death. And notice it says everlasting life, and everlasting contempt, which we don't want to go into now because next week we're going to look at eternal punishment that is the, the, the last of those uh, elementary principles. But you see, the concepts of resurrection were clearly there. And they're so important. Like I said, Book of Acts, when Paul was preaching, he made clear emphasis on the fact that the resurrection was so central and had to be understood. It had to be believed. If you were going to preach the gospel, then you had to preach the resurrection, not just the death of Christ, but his resurrection from the dead. In actual fact, if you turn to first, if we can, we're going to go to a few scriptures, but you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and this particular chapter lays for us a great understanding of the issue of the resurrection and the doctrine of resurrection and what is important is that Paul goes to write about this and he goes as far as to say that if if Christ is not risen from the dead then our faith is worthless. Our faith is futile because the issue of resurrection is so fundamental, it's so critical, it is a foundation. It's an elementary principle. Let's read and we'll see from verse, well we're going to jump to a few but let's start quickly at uh, verse 12. Paul writes and he says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? 
Okay, so this is where we had false teachers and there's those that are talking about this, there's no resurrection. But Paul says, well, if Christ is resurrected, then surely there is a resurrection. How can we conclude that there's no resurrection of the dead? But there, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is empty. Yes, we have found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, uh, whom if he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For, the dead, uh, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we of all men the most pitiable. I mean, that really sums it up. This is the distinctive fundamental difference. This is what sets us apart. The, we, the resurrection of Christ from the dead and, that, and, and its significance to that which is future, which relates to the resurrection uh, ourselves in which we will one day be resurrected. So this is important, this, sits the, this is central to the gospel, so much so that if, it's, if we don't understand it and if we don't proclaim it, then really the gospel itself is compromised and, uh, and is, uh, our faith, he says, is empty, it's futile. I mean, in chapter 15 again, if you look at verse 3 to 5, it tells us in principle what the gospel is. Paul says in verse 3, for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cyphus and then by the Twelve. See, uh, he, he died according to the Scriptures, and he rose according to the Scriptures than that which was prophesied and spoken of in the Old Testament. See, that's the hope. It's so significant. Jesus was the one who first also made mention of the fact of the resurrection when he was on the earth, when he said in John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29, he says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. See, Jesus is alluding to various resurrections. And not that no, we don't read into that and think that they are the one event. But nevertheless, there is a distinctive aspect that's related to the resurrection of life and the resurrection of condemnation. Paul the Apostle brings forth the same truth when he speaks in Acts chapter 24 and he's speaking before Felix and he says in verse 14, But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just, and the unjust. A resurrection of the dead, the just and the unjust. These, two, these are two camps, two groups. 
And it's important for us to make that distinction and to understand that because, again, we'll see when we get to it later in Revelations, there is that aspect. But what I want also just to bring to your attention is, uh, is there's on two occasions when Paul speaks in the book of Acts on, on, on resurrection. Uh, actually, not just in Acts. In Acts, where we just read, he says, I have hope in God. You see, the resurrection is something in which we now, and we live in light of that which is to come. And our hope rests, amen, in Christ's resurrection, which is the first fruits which, which is relate to us. This is our hope. You know, we know that one day we're all going to die. This body is going to be put off. Unless the Lord Jesus comes and, uh, uh, and we don't have to face that, then praise the Lord, I'm all for that. But nevertheless, uh, death is, this body will be put off. And so we have a hope of a resurrection, something far greater that is coming for us in the plan and purpose of God at his appointed time. And this is our hope. It's a confident expectation. And Paul says, for this hope, and he says again in Corinthians when we read it before, he spoke about our hope. It is Christ. And this is something that uh, uh, we, 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 we understand as we live this life, we are living in this hope, with this earnest expectation. And, it's be- and again, it's based upon uh, the, the Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. Our hope is a living hope and that living hope is not some ethereal substance. That living hope is Christ who has been resurrected from the dead. And in light of that, I have such a confidence, I have such assurance. That's where my hope is built on. I'm not hoping in hope, amen. I'm hoping in Christ. And so here we have these various aspects, but let's just consider them a little bit further. Firstly, we want to look at this in the doctrine of resurrections. We want to look firstly at Christ. Because the scripture teaches us that Christ is the first fruit. The resurrection of Christ is not just, uh, not just, uh, it's not just important to the fact of which it relates to the gospel, but also what the resurrection of Christ symbolically means to us. And so that's why the scripture refers to Christ as the first fruits. Actually, if you go again in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 15, you will see from verse 20, listen to what it says. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He has become the first fruits. For since by man death came, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even in Christ, all shall be made alive. Now listen to verse 23. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards those who are Christ's at his coming. You see, this is important. that where It says in verse 23, but each one in his own order. There is an order here. There are stages in relation to the resurrection of the just and the unjust. And so when the scripture makes reference of this and talking about Christ, we have Christ's resurrection, 
That's the first fruit. Then that which relates to the just and that which relates to the unjust and these are the various aspects of resurrection, each according to their order. And this is what we have to understand to, uh, to, to grasp the aspects of this doc, particular doctrine. Otherwise we can get a little bit confused. Each in his own order. You see, what is the resurrection ultimately dealing with? It's dealing with the fact that two things, that one, death has been defeated because death is the result of sin. God never intended death to enter the world. And so that is overcome. Death, and you can read that further in 1 Corinthians, it talks about that. And death is swallowed up in victory, ultimately. But yet... There's that also which relates in the resurrection of the dead, also that relates to eternal judgment for those that will find themselves at the the great white throne judgment before God who judges all the earth. And so that is a scary thing. But you see, let's come back to Jesus because Jesus was the... He said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And he was the one, having laid down his life, had the power to take it up. Jesus having been crucified uh, and yet he had told his disciples that on the third day he would rise. He said, destroy this temple and, uh, and he said, and in three days I'll raise it up. It was the temple of his body. The resurrection of Christ, that Christ has risen from the dead. What victory, what hope, a living hope. And when we talk about Christ's resurrection, we can't help but get excited, hallelujah. In actual fact, at the time of Christ's resurrection, there was an unusual event that took place. Have you ever read it? You've probably read it. Have you ever stopped just to ponder it for a moment? It's found in Matthew chapter 27. And it has to do, and I think this particular event is a token, it's a sign of things that, which is to come. Uh, because the scripture just tells us what happened, but doesn't go into great detail about what happened afterwards or how it all, and all the rest of it. It just gives us a glimpse. But, Listen to what it says in Matthew 27, verse 51. It says, Behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they couldn't come out before, because Christ had to be the first fruit. Coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. I mean, just that's all it says. <laughs> but just think about that for a moment. Could you imagine? I mean, these people were, were in the graves, dead, and now they've, after the resurrection of Christ, there is a contingent of people, I don't know how many, and they've been raised from the dead, they've gotten out of the grave, <laughs> and they've gone into the holy city and appeared to many people. I mean... I, I mean, I don't know what the reactions were. It doesn't give us any, it doesn't tell us anything that would be good if there would be a bit more information or how it all worked and the response of the people. I got no idea, but I tell you what, what they knew uh, was there was a resurrection of the dead. Christ was resurrected and here we have a resurrection of some Old Testament saints uh, who at this particular time, why did it happen? Well, it was a token of that which is to come. It was a sign and a symbol of that which is to come in the purpose of God that relates to the resurrection of the dead. 
One thing is for sure, hallelujah, Jesus sets the captives free. You know, there's a whole teaching that relates, I can't go into it here, we might touch upon it next time, that relates to Hades. And so Jesus, he went to Hades and he set the captives free, amen, and set at liberty. And uh, that, that relates to, we get a glimpse of this in Luke 16 and other, other scriptures and there's other teachings that relate to it. But nevertheless, Jesus, amen, he set the captives free. And that's after his resurrection, he, he triumphed. That's why we have this symbol of those that um, were appearing to many. But Jesus is the first fruits. Let's go secondly to the believer's resurrection. In 1 Corinthians again, which lays out this doctrine, we find another aspect that reveals to us that we too, amen, will have a partake of a, res a resurrection and in doing so, our we will take on a celestial body or a new body. And so because the Bible tells us that flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God, this body is contaminated by sin and it's part of the dust and to dust it will return. But there is coming a day when, when the Bible says that we will put on a new body. And this is what we, uh, we find in relation to resurrection or as we also refer to it as the rapture uh, as well in, in our understanding of this. And we find it here in 1 Corinthians. So let's just look, if you can, at verse 50. It says, Now this I say, Paul writes, Brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? And so again, we're getting glimpses. We're getting insight into that which relates to the first resurrection as we state. But remember, in the first resurrection, we'll see there's various aspects that are associated with it. But nevertheless, this is related to the rapture. We, we understand this uh, also in 1 Thessalonians. These, I know these are familiar portions of Scripture, but we're just laying the doctrine down. We're just identifying these things without going too deeply into them. But in 1 Thessalonians, we know the scripture where it says in chapter 4 and it says in verse um, 13, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those that have died in Christ, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. We have hope. When someone dies, we bear some sorrow, we bear sorrow in one sense, but we have hope, Amen. And he says, uh, for we, if, in verse 14, if, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall be with the Lord always. And verse 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. Again, we're talking about the rapture. We're talking about resurrection. We're talking about being transformed and having a new celestial body. Praise the Lord. Now, if, we can, if you can go with me to Revelation chapter 20. This is an interesting scripture actually. And, um, and some who've studied it will probably be familiar with what I'm talking about. And, there's, um, and so, again, I'm just going to state it because it is there. And so, um, it relates to, well, again, uh, one would put it in the context of, because we're talking about a resurrection, so we're talking about tribulation saints and we're also, those w- would also say that it relates to Old Testament saints. But whatever the case may be, it, it's, it doesn't specifically refer to the rapture. It talks about a resurrection at the end of the um, tribulation period. And it says in chapter 20, verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. So we're part of that. Pros- uh, of that. Amen. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image, had not received the mark on their foreheads and on their, uh, on their hands and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has pardoned the first resurrection over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. We are part of that contingent, hallelujah. And so, in returning with Christ in chapter 19 and so forth. But the point being is, is this again is related to the resurrection of the just, another uh, facet or various stage in relation to those that uh, uh, in the tribulation period as it refers to who had lost their lives. And then we also have the resurrection of the wicked in the same chapter. Remember the just and the unjust. And so we find uh, that this particular resurrection, the first resurrection, takes place before the millennial reign of Christ, before the thousand-year reign of Christ upon the earth. But at the end of that, uh, the Bible talks about another resurrection. And you can see that in chapter, uh, in verse 11, if you look down in chapter 20. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the, the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. Uh, verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged each according to his works. And in Scripture goes on to say, Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. Again, we'll look at this next week. I don't want to dwell on it. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. 
But again, we find that death in Hades gives up the dead. This is the resurrection of the unjust who will face and stand before the great white throne judgment. Thank God that we won't stand at the great white throne judgment. Amen? We, uh, uh, in, in, the, uh, in Christ, we will stand before the beamer seat of Christ and we'll uh, be judged there, but that's not the great white throne judgment because we don't, you don't want to be part of that one. Amen? We're saved from that, praise the Lord. We will not come into condemnation. But here we have these various aspects that are related to the various judgments and the various resurrections. And so it's important that we, we realise these because um, we ourselves will find ourselves in the resurrection ourselves. Amen. And by which uh, when the Lord comes we will be transformed. And so there's one other aspect that I just also want to touch upon this because when we talk about the resurrection, we're talking about our body. And so actually we're sitting in a Seventh-day Adventist church and so we know that the various aspects of their teaching relates to that uh, soul sleep. That somehow that when we die, uh, we're put into the grave and we enter mysteriously into a, a state of soul sleep and, uh, and we won't live again until the resurrection. But you see, we don't believe that, Amen. Because the Bible teaches us that when we talk about the doctrine of the resurrection, we're talking about the physical body, okay? But the scripture clearly teaches us that there is coming a time, uh, or Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 5, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And so we don't enter into some phase uh, of soul sleep. And uh, or in Hades, as, as it was related to the Old Testament saints in that context either. We are present with the Lord and that is the confidence that we have. That is the hope that we have. We don't believe in soul sleep. That is not a biblical doctrine and uh, the way in which it's related to the resurrection. We're talking about the doctrine of the resurrection that relates to the body. When Jesus was on that cross and he said to that thief, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. Not at some future time of, of, the re, of the resurrection. We don't enter into some state of soul sleep, but rather we are alive in the Lord. All right. Um, there's one other thing I just want to present to you before we conclude. One last thought. Because as we see in the scripture the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead, the Bible tells us that it's our hope and two, it tells us that we have to have a certain disposition towards it. Or in other words, it should affect and impact the way in which we live our lives. Because we understand that we're, not live, we're, not, we're, we're, we're heading towards a celestial city. We're, we're, we are awaiting that which is to come. And so we are fixed and focused on those things that are eternal. And in doing so, uh, we must take a certain approach to our lives. And so in 1 John chapter 3 and in verse 2, it shows us how, how we need to live our lives in, in light of the resurrection of the dead. It says, Beloved, John, 1 John 3 verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And so because we're on a journey, because we have this hope, because we know what is ahead, 
we are, uh, uh, because the Lord is presenting to himself a bride that has been washed and purified. And so the Lord is working towards that purification that we would be conformed into his image. And so when we live this life, amen, we are to, the scripture says that we live in light of the hope that we have. And so we purify ourselves just as he is pure. We make sure that we live a life that is uh, free from sin and free from uh, disobedience to God. We're consistently seeking to do those things that are pleasing to him because one day, amen, whether it be death or whether it be the resurrection, we will be with the Lord and we will have a celestial body in which we will live forever and with Christ, hallelujah, we shall rule and we shall reign. That's our future. That's what we live for. Uh, not that which relates to this earth and the things of this world that divert us away, can steal our hearts and take us away from the Lord. Death has been swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your sting? The resurrection of the dead. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray.